Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob from Seeking Integrity, our men's program here in Los Angeles for male sex addicts and men who struggle with sex and drugs. And this is going to be a two-part series. Um, I have invited Jason Swilling, who is our spiritual counselor and spiritual director at Seeking Integrity, to join us. And we don't usually talk about religion, spirituality here, but I felt it was essential to bring it in. And I don't care whether you're Christian or Jewish or Muslim or, you know, it really doesn't matter. What we're talking about is your connection to a higher power or, you know, whatever that means to you. So, yeah. And Jason, I, I wanted to start with just, can you explain to these folks, like, why you work for us and how you sort of got this role and a little bit about just your education and background? Certainly. And, uh, and, and thank you for having me on, Dr. Rob. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. So my background, I was, uh, I have a bachelor's in psychology. I went to Fuller Seminary and got a master's in divinity with a concentration in recovery ministry. I also have myself been in recovery for 25 years. You know, what brought me to work at Seeking Integrity was not only seeing the good work, the fine work that you were doing in the field at that time, but also just having an opportunity to work with addicts and couples, you know, and trying to heal from the addiction, uh, the disease of sex addiction. So, Jason, let me ask you this. You said you went to a seminary. That's where you studied. To me, that implies Christianity. I don't know that many people from other religions go to seminaries. So I think of all the Jewish people we get, all the we get Muslim people, we get people Buddhists, we get people from all over the world. How do you manage to talk to them and help them since you have this background? Maybe you could talk a little bit about what you went to school and what you learned. You know, how does it all fit together? Well, really going to seminary opened my eyes to uh, the type of Christianity that I had personally come from. But even more appropriate is uh, my experience in the 12, in 12 step recovery, that it, in the spirituality of 12 step recovery is all inclusive. So there's no discrimination against certain religions. And then I was able to um, professionalize all of that as I became a chaplain at UCLA Hospital in the spiritual care department. And we were really trained on how to meet people where they're at their needs, uh, spiritually speaking, no matter what background they came from. So I, I have a, quite a bit of experience in working with people of all different types of religions myself as well. 
You know, one of the things I'm grateful for, and I'll just say this to you guys, is, you know, there are certain parts of the program that I really feel are lacking in many places. And to have a spiritual counselor, to have a a dedicated person to help spouses and families, I think it does make a difference for you, example, to be there. And this is your focus. So I really appreciate it a lot. And I have seen your work, and I have seen your work with extremely religious people, and I have seen your work with people who have no interest or sense of that at all. And a lot of it is about helping people come to peace with themselves through this. So, Jason, I'm going to ask you two questions. One is about people who come in with strong religious values, strong religious beliefs, and are very connected to a particular religion. And then let's talk about people who aren't. So starting with the people who have very deep, meaningful religious beliefs, what do they want to talk about with you? What is the thing that they bring up to you that they're seeking you out as a spiritual counselor? You know, what are they, what are their issues? What do they want with you and from you? What is the most popular sort of issue that they bring into you if they're very religious? Yeah. Uh, for the, for the very religious folks that we work with, the biggest issue that they bring to me is how can they reconnect with God in a way that is healthy and helpful for their recovery to stay sober? Oftentimes, you know, they've continued their religious practices, but not been able to stay sober sexually. And so how can they, you know, bring effectiveness uh, from their spirituality or religion into their sobriety? Don't they feel like hypocrites? Certainly. Yeah. Oftentimes, yes. How do they deal with that? Or how do you help them deal with the sense of, yes, I have these beliefs, but I've also violated so many of them? How do you help them come to peace with that piece. Right. We, uh, I help them assess really what, what part of their spirituality, what part of their connection with their God, a higher power, doesn't allow them to live in honesty and vulnerability and authenticity with not only their God, but also with others. Oftentimes, the spirituality of a person in this situation is that it's just me and God alone, right? That I can I can take God on the shelf. I can put God on the shelf. And usually I'm, you know, putting God on the shelf whenever I go to act out Mm -hmm. uh, or a person is doing that. So how can we, you know, be authentic in not only our relationship with with a God, our higher power, but also how can that person become authentic and vulnerable and honest with other people uh, as they seek to make connections with other people? Uh, The two are not you know, uh, distinct from each other. Uh, how I connect with other people is how I connect with, with God uh, many times. So. so Jason, you know, so many of our clients who have meaningful religious beliefs, they feel like they failed. They failed God. They failed the religion that they were brought in. They've lived as hypocrites. What do you say to me? What would you say to me if I walked into your office and I said, I have failed God. I have failed my religion. I don't deserve God's love. And I've been a hypocrite in my life based on what I believe in. My beliefs are not mirroring how I've lived. What do you say to them when they're in great pain about this hypocrisy? Well, I I think what I would say to them is, you know, it's not about failing God. It's not about failing your religion. uh, But really, it's more about failing yourself because of the morals and the, the values that you hold. And if indeed you do hold them, then, you know, addiction takes us to a place where we fail ourselves. We fail ourselves. And so how can we first seek to repair that before, 
you know, entertaining how to repair things with God. If I come into your office, Jason, and I say, I don't believe I'm worthy of God's love. I have so broken the values, the ethics, and the morals that I grew up with that I can't see any way that I could find my way back to my beliefs, my belief in myself, and my relationship with God. I know that he or she's there for me, but I feel like I've let myself and them down so much that, you know, I don't see how God could ever love me. What do you say to them? Yeah, what I would say is focus on connecting to other people first. You know, to find uh, peace and comfort, acceptance, belonging by connecting with other people first. Not worry about the religious stuff right now, but another person that's in treatment with you is going through the same thing. They're not going to be judging you. They're going to accept you just as you are. And part of what may lead those of a you know uh, conservative or of a religious nature uh, or belief system uh, is that uh, you know we're going to feel judged or like we're not accepted uh, in the religious system that we find so or that we are in. So finding, but we all need that that point of connection, right? That place of acceptance and belonging, and we can find that in other addicts that are trying to stay sober as well. So I would point them in that direction. It's interesting because what you're saying, and you, you said this a number of times, is that I have to find my peace in relationship to other people who can, who've also begun to find peace of themselves or who will share my pain and struggle. And that somehow not being alone with it is the first step toward healing. Is that what you were saying? That's correct. Because if the religious system in which a person you know, grew up in or is currently a part of was a place where they could find acceptance, belonging, uh, just as they are. Not to say that it's anything about the religious community, but more how they feel about the religion or religious community, then they would, they would have already been vulnerable with others in that religious community. But most of the time, what I find in, uh, is that people feel like they can't be vulnerable in those religious communities. So they find a place where they can be vulnerable, share all of their secrets and feel accepted and like a place that they belong in the 12 step community. And that's oftentimes the first start to making connections, authentic and real connections that are the lifeline for recovery. Is there a part of this that allows me to find forgiveness for myself? I understand that the connection to others will begin to help me feel less alone and that there is a connection and that I am worthy because the person I see in front of me who's struggling is also worthy. But how do I find my way back? Right. That's, that's a good question. So after being able to establish an authentic and vulnerable connection with another human being that's walking through the same, uh, the same process as I, I start to develop a capacity for for rigorous honesty, for uh, vulnerability, and ultimately for intimacy. And then as I develop that capacity with my recovery network, my connections in recovery, I can now take that newfound capacity for intimacy back into my religion and start to develop more intimate connections with other people in that religious connect, uh, community and with God, you know, the God of my religion. I guess one of the questions I have for you is that there are many people who, whose religions were really or have been really about a lot of dogma. 
In other words, do this, don't do that. You know, you're a good person if you do this, you're a bad person if you do that. Some religions can be very focused on the word, following the word, you know, uh, uh, being a part of a path that has already been laid out. And yet we have clients who say, I haven't followed that path, and I haven't been there, and I haven't earned what I was taught because I haven't followed the the path that was laid out for me. So I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to do that, I'm supposed to act this way, I'm supposed to treat my neighbor that way, I'm supposed to treat my spouse this way, but I haven't. And so I have violated the very path or precepts that were laid out for me. This is how you connect with God. There are many religions that say that this is what you need to do. And I come to your office, Jason, and I say, I haven't done those things. In fact, I've been doing the opposite. How could I ever be accepted or fixed in the religion, in my belief system, considering I have violated so much of what I've been told was right and how I was supposed to live? I would point to the fact that we are powerless over certainly our addictive behaviors as we've gone off the rails with our uh, compulsive behaviors. And so it does. It, it makes sense that that person is, is very well off the path. So I would point to, again, connecting with other people as the power for my sobriety. And then as, they, as a person learns how to disengage from the compulsive addictive behaviors by utilizing the power of their connections in other people, you could then turn that over to the religious uh, system as well and utilize the power of their connections of other people in the religious system to follow the precepts and you know, the order of that pathway in the religious system, which would then therefore create a connection, uh, go back, reconnect them uh, with the God of that religion. You know, I really appreciate, Jason, you continue to go back to connection among people and connection to others as the path back to whatever your belief system is. And yet, I will come into your office and say, how could God love me after what I have done? It's like many spouses and partners, you know, I have my heart open to them every day, will say, how could you love me and do these things at the same time? And to me, that's a lot of similar things, a similar way, which is, you know, how could God love me after the things that I've done? How do you address that with them? We'd have to take a look at the nature of God's love in their religious system, really. Because obviously, I mean, not obviously, but in some religious systems, love is based on performance of the precepts. And, you know, God's love can be based on a person's religious performance. Well, as you're talking about something transactional. Well, I personally don't believe in transactional love from God or from a higher power. Um, But it depends on, you know, what a person's uh, religious background is um, and what their belief system is. If they believe in their religion, you know, states that God's love is conditional based on performance, then we have to work within the the religious system in which they find themselves. So, Jason, you really need to be able to dig in not only to their feelings about self, but their connections to other people. 
but also how is their specific religion? What is it asked of them? Right. Because if, you know, the pathway to connect, have that connection uh, with God in their religious system does depend on their performance. Some examples of which I'm thinking are, you know, in Catholicism, you know, the, the sacraments, right? If I partake in the seven sacraments, then then I have a connection with God. Or in, in Judaism, if I follow the Ten Commandments and as well as many of the other rabbinical laws, then, then I can have a, you know, a, a strong connection with God. So it really depends on what the religious background is uh, and their belief system as to help them find their pathway back to a connection with God in the religious system in which they've come from. What I hear you saying, I'm going to repeat, is people need to reconnect with other people. They need to see that other people can be redeemed because they have the same problems and they can still be loved so I can still be loved. For other people, you need to walk through their own religious beliefs and where they come from, and you have a lot of knowledge about that, to help them come to peace with what they have been taught, with what they've been taught and how they can realign with that in ways that they can manage to accept and, and take in. Now I want to talk about people who come to you with no belief, with no faith. Do you think that recovery and healing is faith required? Is religion required? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I I have friends who are atheists who have a long time sober and don't believe in God. So religion, any of that is not necessary to work a recovery program and to stay sober. But now I gotcha. <laughs> We're playing gotcha with God here because one of the primary things that the 12 steps speak to, for those of you who are in recovery or involved with that particular way of thinking, and I hope all the addicts listening are, is it asks us to believe. It asks us to believe in a higher power. And that it, within itself, I think, keeps a lot of people out of 12-step meetings and away from this recovery and these connections because they feel like they're being asked to do something that they don't believe in or they're being told that they have to believe in this or that in order to heal. So why is it in there? Why is this whole higher power thing in there? If there are people who are going to walk in and they have absolutely no belief. What's interesting about the language of the 12 steps is it does use the word God and it capitalizes that G for God. Uh, it, and if you're in AA, it also does uh, use the pronoun him as well. But if you're able to to get past, you know, the contextual nature of which in which the uh, the text was written, such you know the 1930s for AA, then uh, what you get at is, uh, and what they're pointing at is that the essence of spirituality is connection, right? Connecting with other people as well as connecting with a higher power or a god. But the main part, the main point of that is to connect to other people and that the essence of spirituality is the connections between us as recovering addicts. Uh, so with someone who doesn't believe in God and doesn't like the whole, you know, God as I understand him stuff in the 12 steps, uh, then we can start by focusing on just like those of the re religious nature as well. We can start by focusing on connecting with other people in authenticity and vulnerability, right? So here's the question or comment. What I hear you saying is very humanistic. It's not really religious. It's more of, you know, when I hear about people connecting to each other, I mean, these are my beliefs, right? That 
God exists in the in the space between us. That that the, when when people are gathered mm-hmm. for healing, that God exists. You you've heard me talk about the Sistine Chapel and how the these two hands moving toward each other with that space in between those two fingers. That that's where I would say it exists. But those are very humanistic beliefs. They're about connection and people, and they're not necessarily about God in the world or religion, are they? I mean, I personally believe that that God is in the space between us. Uh, so I think that you know, focusing on the connection between us and the essence of spirituality being the connection between us certainly leaves room for God uh, as well. Uh, you know, more of a like a supreme type of spiritual being. But if a person doesn't believe in that, then that's okay too, because. The power to stay sober, the spirituality of the tw- of the recovery program is in the connections of uh, of human beings. And are there things just to go to strictly to to religion, if you will, a a practiced written thing that you have to follow? Do the various religions that you work with do do they speak directly to connection as being a path to God? In religious communities, there is a focus on connection uh, between human beings. Well, certainly in, in Christianity and Catholicism, while there are some, some precepts that we must do and follow, uh, there is also uh, a high focus on connection. I'm not as familiar with the, uh, the focus on connection in Judaism or uh, in Islam, but I see people gathering all the time. Uh, so I can imagine that there is a high focus on connection as well. You know, I was thinking about the commandments, which are, you know, not my expertise, but there are a lot about people, you know, love thy neighbor as thyself. Don't covet. Now, there was a lot of pieces in there that seem to be, as I listened to you, about connection to other people in the most basic lessons we're taught. They really are about our connection to other people. Indeed. And, and I was trying to stay out of uh, quoting uh, any religious text, but there are lots of places in the Old Testament and the New Testament, in the Quran even, about connecting with other people. And, and even connecting with other people as a pathway to God, to a connection mm-hmm. with God. I mean, at one point in the New Testament, right, it says, if I have anything against my brother to go make it right first before making it right with God. So that shows, Mm -hmm. you know, the power of connection with other people. And certainly, you know, as a way of uh, even uh, managing my behavior, there's lots of places in the religious text that talk about that, actually. You know, it's really, as I listen to you, and I think, you know, we are completely different experiences, different faiths, different ideas, but yet we come together and in recovery, especially with this idea of connection. You know, you can go to Brene Brown, you can go all the psychological literature that talks about attachment and connection and relying and depending. And it's all about relationships and how we treat each other and ourselves. But now we're talking about religion and you're kind of saying the same thing. Yeah. In my experience, it's the fundamental difference between going to church and going to an AA meeting. And a lot of religious communities have forgotten this aspect. And I wonder if, I mean, I think that those of us who have gotten into an addiction uh, and, you know, centered our lives around an addiction, we're needing that aspect of connection in the religious community and we didn't find it. But 
in 12-step recovery, we can find that connection. We can find that place of belonging just as we are without having to believe anything first. I think in part when you talk about connection, you know, I think about religious communities and people coming together for holidays, people coming together to celebrate uh, events and really, you know, the church, the temple, the, those environments being very much about, it's funny, they're about community. They're about connection. They're about us supporting each other. When you get down to what's happening there, we are celebrating each other. We are, we are encouraging each other. We are now uh, granted there are the parts that, you know, people reject or really struggle with, or, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the very nature of what seems to happen in religion uh, in terms of the day to day is people go to a place where they connect and they celebrate each other. So it's really weird. <laughs> I hadn't thought about this, but it is the same thing on some level. That is where people go to celebrate their their spirituality is with their connections with other people. Yet, in in fact, many of those connections, not maybe not in the big congregational setting, are those connections vulnerable and deep and meaningful uh, relationships. Lots of times, those kinds of connections happen outside the congregational setting or the big you know, the big communal meeting. But in my experience and in the experience of many others who have either uh, come from a religious background and stayed sober in a, in a recovery community, the level of authentic and vulnerable uh, and connections and deep, meaningful relationships, there's just more of that available in the recovery community than in even many religious communities. So yes, while they are there, while people do gather uh, for religious, you know, communal gatherings, the level of authenticity, vulnerability, I find, is higher in uh, in recovery communities because we're trying to recover together. Part of what I hear you talking about, it's interesting, is, and I hear addicts talking about this all the time, is is how I want to appear and who I am in front of other people versus what's really going on inside of me. And what I sort of hear you saying is some people show up in their religious communities not deeply connected because it's more about the outside. And yet people who are struggling so deeply as addicts do in so much isolation, they are the ones who are more likely to be unable to put that outside, I'm great thing, uh, you know, our family's great, we're great, everything's wonderful. They can't really put up that flag anymore. And I guess when that reduces you to your basic vulnerabilities, you don't have a choice. You can't just look good. You have to be looking at the inside and showing the inside and getting accepted for what's inside. And I think, I think that's what you're kind of talking about. Again, I'm just repeating your words back because this is not my arena. So is that what you're talking about? That's exactly what I'm talking about. We we call it in the in the in the church. We called it putting on our Sunday best, right? We put on good clothes and smiles on our faces, and you know we go to church and pretend like nothing. Dad wasn't drunk the night before, right, or something like that. But yeah, by the time we get to recovery, our life has fallen apart enough where we can't pretend anymore. We have to take the mask off, and we have to reach out and ask for help because we just can't do it by ourselves. You know, and uh, and that doesn't seem to be taking place as much in the religious communities, whether it's Christian, Judaism, or or Islam, especially with a uh, a behavioral 
a mental health disorder, behavioral disease, such as addiction, because, you know, we're, we're still new in understanding what addiction is as far as, you know, the psychological field is still new, you know, a hundred years. So understanding that these behaviors aren't because I'm a deviant by nature, but I have a mental health disorder. Many religious communities are, are still coming around to that fact. So, you know, if you if you go into a, a religious congregation and you talk about how someone has cancer, someone has this horrible physical illness, you know, people might gather around and uh, and and support you and provide things. But when with these behavioral addictions and other mental mental health disorders that are a little more difficult for the religious community to understand, there's a reticence to come and support and. Uh, and really give uh, what that person needs by way of vulnerability and intimacy. But that's not true in recovery communities. I think I understand what you're saying because I certainly have worked with religious leaders and people come in and they say, you know, I can't talk about this. I, I certainly can't talk about sex. I can't talk about sexual problems. I can't talk about gambling my kid's college fund away. And in some ways, too, I can't talk about being drunk last night. I can't talk about being arrested last night. So, and I don't really understand that, to be honest with you. I don't understand how faith got so separated from people being imperfect. Because it does seem like, and we're going to talk about this in the next podcast, about some of the abusive issues that can happen in religion. But I would think everything that I have read says accept, integrate, help people to be a piece of themselves, accept the and support the people who have the most problems. And yet I believe that a lot of people feel that they are not welcome or they are not welcomed into their spiritual religious communities because they're so imperfect. I would say an amen to that. I don't know necessarily how we got here in many religious communities, but I will say that that has been by far the experience that uh, I and many, many others that I've worked with have had. There's just not a place for, especially in in the realm of sex or sex addiction, there's not a place for that. Spirituality doesn't have to be as dogmatic as people have may have experienced or observed uh, in their past. That spirituality is available to everyone because spirituality is about the connection between you and I. And then we can extrapolate that connection to a higher power as well, connecting with other people, you know, is at the heart of spirituality and that, uh, you know, that I can tap into my spiritual nature uh, in the 12 steps and that it's not, it's not as dogmatic as, uh, as it maybe first comes across with, you know, some of the terminology in the book. And that's what we have to talk about next time is in what ways does religion and spirituality harm people? And I hate to even talk about that because people's beliefs are so deep and so meaningful, and I don't want to take that away from anyone at all, ever. But at the same time, what you and I need to talk about next is people who were, I don't know, trained or indoctrinated or given this information when they were very young about if you do it this way, then that. And if you If you are the homosexual, if you are the the person who's had adultery if you are you know the messages are so strong about what it means to be good and bad and right and wrong that they don't have much of a chance and i guess before we get off this and talk about that 
you just wrote a whole book on spiritual abuse. You're teaching a course at Seeking Integrity on spiritual abuse and religious abuse. Do you think that people recognize that in the beginning, that they have been harmed by this? Not at all. I also want to say that the messages, when, when they are judgmental and they are, you know, uh, alienating and marginal, you know, marginalizing people, that really the message could just be that you're fucking amazing, right? <laughs> just by existing, by being alive, you are absolutely amazing. I heard, I heard this one analogy that I really like, which is from a higher powers, you know, God's perspective, watching us and all of our, our little achievements or, or discrepancies, you know, is like watching ants race, right? <laughs> like this stuff is not that, I mean, not to minimize, because it, it is painful for those who are going through the betrayal, but it doesn't take away from your value that just by existing, you are absolutely amazing. And if I can start at that perspective that I, I am fucking amazing and I've got one life to live, that perhaps I don't have to live it in such denial and I can be more authentic and come into the reality uh, of my situation and try to make my life, my situation better. Right. What I just heard is the spiritual counselor that I want to have, because I feel like you're you're preaching the gospel, which is accept, connect, believe in something that you're preaching the gospel, if you will, that I believe in. And I think that the 12 steps teach, which is, you know, it isn't about one word or one action or one prayer. It is about the constant connection through people and through my beliefs to healing and to hope. And I, I want to say something to you about that. When someone comes in hopeless, you seem to be able to offer them hope by looking at the round in the room and saying, you are not alone. There are others who feel hopeless. There are others who don't feel worthy of connection. And somehow you manage in part to help them have beliefs. You lecture about this. So let me ask you before we stop, what kinds of things are you talking about when you're lecturing to or teaching the clients to seek integrity? Obviously, you're not talking about one specific religion. You may not even be really talking about religion at all. So what are you talking to them about? Because now they're stuck having to listen to you. <laughs> well, first, we walk through a process of identifying the spiritual baggage that they bring to, you know, trying to make a new approach to spirituality for, for staying sober. So we identify some of the spiritual baggage that comes from their religious background. We identify the spiritual baggage that comes from uh, the relationship with their father, usually, because that's our earliest image of a godlike figure, right? So ways in which they've been harmed in, in, in those relationships uh, and identifying that spiritual baggage, but also asking clients, well, how do you wish your father had been? What, do, what are some of the characteristics that you wish you, your father would have espoused in this relationship? You know, like loving, nurturing, affectionate, caring, things like that. And then I show them as if they've been there a week or three days or maybe three weeks uh, or any you know point of time in recovery that they've already been experiencing that with each other, right? That as they share their secrets and they become vulnerable with each other, they're already experiencing that which they wish was part of their spirituality through each other. So they're already making these connections that they need to stay sober. And from then, from there, we see how if I duplicate this in other relationships, then what I have is a network of, 
of authentic and vulnerable connections with other people in recovery. And that that connection, that network of connections can be my higher power. And what's beautiful about that is that it doesn't have to, you know, go counter or is not counter towards religion. Instead, what happens, it, it, it becomes the mechanics by which, a, you know, God works in our life, right? So if I need to know what God's will is in my life, then I can run it through my network of authentic recovery connections and say, should I take the job? Should I marry the girl? Should I do this or that? And if I get a theme of uh, responses from others in recovery, that more or less could be, you know, God's will for my life or my higher power's will for my life. Because those authentic connections, they're not, they don't have an agenda for me. They're not trying to sell me something. The feedback that they're giving me is because they're genuinely interested in my well-being and they want what's best for me. So, you know, I'm getting authentic feedback and whatever theme that I get could be God's will for me. So by illustrating that, and I draw all this on the board and, uh, you know, and clients are able to see that maybe there's, this is like a spirituality that can work for me regardless of my religious background. And if I want to go back into my religious, my religion, it doesn't have to, you know, it's not counter to that either. That in a nutshell is the spirituality and recovery course that I teach. And then we talk about an equation for, for growth, for spiritual growth, you know, growth and development and spirituality. And that's, you know, desperation that leads to willingness, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and when I put action with that willingness, I have an experience, like an experience of connection, an experience that shows me that this program can work for me and that gives me hope. And then we just wash and repeat. And that's the equation for <laughs> spiritual, you know. Um, and then eventually desperation changes to inspiration. Mm -hmm. You know, I take a service commitment in recovery and I become the treasurer or the greeter or I help put mm -hmm. the you know, the, the chairs up or anything like that. Now I'm invested in the recovery meeting and I'm inspired to keep coming back. And that, you know, uh, that inspiration leads to willingness. I put the action with that and I have an experience and, and then I, I, I gain the hope that this program is working for me. You just, you went through that and you never mentioned any religion. You didn't mention any particular religion. You didn't mention the big G, the small G, you talked about hope. You talked about change. And what you're saying isn't just a lecture, isn't just a discussion. Your passion embodies what I think you want people to have. And you want them to be passionate about hope, about, about a direction, a path, and have belief that if they evolve this, that they are going to get to where they want to be and who they want to be. You can guide them. And that has nothing to do with religion. It has nothing to do with any particular practice, it has to do it. And I got to tell you, with your own experience, you have found this path. You have found a way back to your family, back to hope, back to, I'm guessing that that can help you have that passion and share that with people. Is that a part of it? Absolutely. I mean, I grew up in the 12 steps that showed me how to be become an adult and uh, and really has given me everything that I have today, which has been married for 18 years and, mm -hmm. you know, three teenage boys. Uh, <laughs> so, it you know, I'm a prime example of it works if you work it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't come here willingly either. I was, you know, uh, I had my own stipulations that got me into recovery. But uh, but it's the message took hold and it gave me a life that, I, you know, that would have been very difficult to, to put together otherwise. I want to thank you, Jason, for joining us. And I want to tell all of you that it is a blessing and it is a gift 
to be able to have somebody who can help people work with these issues. Because yes, spirituality is a part of recovery. And you have to look at the parts that work and the parts that didn't. And part two is going to be about the parts that don't work and how people are unable to or unwilling to embrace these parts of, of themselves because of what their beliefs have taught them. Any last messages? Just that love wins. Love wins. To say more about that, just that, you know, when all else fails, if I can love others and love myself, then I have the the essence, the basics of all, you know, major religions right there. So love wins. You know, I just, I want to say one more thing about that, because I've heard you say this before, which is people get really obsessed with themselves, you know, with what's wrong with me and God doesn't love me and I've broken this and I've done that and I'm not worthy of it. Look at my morals. and But all you're saying is help other people. Put yourself aside. And, and we know this from treatment, by the way, that one of the best ways to help people feel better about themselves is to do service, to do things for others. And when I think about service, that's when I think about spirituality, because one of the things that our clients really struggle with is self-obsession. Uh, I can't believe I did this. I'm such an awful person. God will never love me. I'm not deserving of this and all of that. And what washes all of that away is service. What washes all of that away is I can be of help to others. And I guess that is my last question to you is, have you found that your help to others has allowed you to find peace within yourself? Indeed, it, it's the 12th step, right? After after I work the program and I gain the message of recovery, I gain the hope and the freedom of recovery, it is then my job in order to stay sober and continue staying sober to uh, give that message to other people that so desperately need it, uh, to freely give away that which was given to me. It is the 12th step. Uh, and it is part of the spiritual awakening, right? So not only do we get, you know, joy and freedom and meaning out of giving that message away, we also get a continued sober life. Uh, so it's essential. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term, effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.